0: Welcome to season two of Grain IQ. I'm your host, Chad Moyer. Grain marketing is a critical piece in keeping your operation profitable. And in season one of Grain IQ, we covered the basics of grain marketing. Now season two dives deeper into grain marketing concepts that we covered in season one. So if you haven't listened to that, we invite you to start there. Now today we're learning about puts and calls and how they can layer into your grain marketing plan. We'll split this topic into two parts. In part one, we'll learn the definitions and examples of how farmers can use puts and calls. And in part two, we'll put the rubber to the road and work through some of the math. Doug Simon joins us for today's conversation. Doug is a commodity consultant with TradeHaas in Lincoln. Uh, Doug, thanks for sitting down and visiting with us here today. We spent Season one on talking about the importance of of a marketing plan and what are the different elements, some broad uh, things like that. Just in, in your view, as you work with farmers, why is it important to have a marketing plan and understand some of these concepts?
1: I think the marketing plan, the markets are really big concepts. So a lot of times people, you need to break them down into kind of digestible segments. So we always talk about futures and basis and carry. We're going to talk about options today, but you have to really focus on those different Aspects and also crop insurance you put those four things together five things together You have a, a marketing plan. So you look at those things and trying to Well, do I want to accept this price today? That's really a big concept But you know, how do I break that down and, and really think about each one of those because they all operate independently? Uh, seasonally as do options, which we're going to talk about it here in a little bit Those are all big important things to, to kind of
0: break down and think about them independently. Well, and that is a thing, isn't it? It is something that you can't sit down today and decide for the next year, right? All of those things that you mentioned, they move, they flex, they breathe. And therefore, there's some variability, but there are also uh, some some options and, and ways to kind of tailor that to what you're doing in your operation, right? Absolutely. It's kind of like pulling back an
1: onion as you go through a year, as you look at when you're doing your pre-harvest planning and then you start doing some of your pre-harvest marketing. You learn more about the crop and like this year we've had the Ukraine war and we've had dry conditions develop. You don't know those things in the beginning, so they're kind of revealed to us as we go through. And so we always look at incremental selling over time and that's one way to diversify your selling point, but then also you can use optionality to to be able to come in and adjust those decisions without changing my selling points that I picked previously.
0: In an earlier episode, we talked about the futures market, what it is and and how it works. And one of the things that came up in that discussion was the options market because the options operate next to parallel the futures market and that's what we're gonna have you talk about is uh, the options what they are how they work and how they protect a producer describing in your own words what are options and and how do they operate next to the futures market
1: correct in the futures market that's a discrete you make a decision and you're selling say $14 November soybeans that's a time frame picking a price, and that's a decision, and whether you go up a dollar, you're going to have a dollar margin call for your hedge. If it goes down, you're going to have a dollar gain in your futures market. So those are very discreet. The options market is basically a function or an option is based on that futures price, but it's also based on the time in which you want to make a future decision, uh, but it's also based on volatility that's in the market and interest rate. So it's based on the Black-Scholes option model. So it's a mathematical derivation of what's going on in the futures market. It's just, you have different factors that are contributing to that. So that's what makes options a little more, gives them flexibility, but there's also more decision points within those. And that's what's really confusing because with the futures market, there's always one seller and one buyer. And in an options market, for every call that's bought, there's also a call seller. And then for every put that's bought, there's also a put seller. So it gets more, a little more complicated and people get confused, well, am I using a put or using my call? And I always say that if you want to use a put, it's going to put a floor under your production and protect it against it going lower, which is what we're historically worried about as a farmer is lower prices. So you're going to put away your crop or put a floor underneath it. Or if you want to buy a call, allows you to call in to you or be able to own it. It
0: allows you to benefit if the market goes higher. Doug, let's go back to the very beginning. First of all, uh, before we even define what an option is, tell us, how do we see options? I mean, how do they present themselves? What do we see on a market screen that tells us that, that that's an option?
1: Well, when you if you go into the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and you look at futures, but they also have options on those futures prices. Basically, each option, whether it's in oil or you know, natural gas or copper. I mean, those things. But we have them in corn and soybeans. But it's basically, it's an option where you look at it and you look at different strikes. So if the November futures today are trading at $14, those option pricings, you'll see, you know, November strikes, but you'll also see maybe October strikes. You see different dates within there, and then you see different prices relative to the to the futures price. So, like, if November futures are $14 and you're going to look at a call option, you'd be looking at $14 strikes is at the money. It's like the same as where we're trading here today. And then you would also see out of the money strikes, strikes that are above the futures market or you know, in the money. That'd be in the money, but out of the money would be, or excuse me, in the money would be below it, like say $13. So you're going to see kind of a, a table of different prices on there based on the strike relative to the futures market, but also like the those prices on there,
0: yeah. And what is the increment? Does that change with the commodity? You know, as you, if you're an at the money, say fourteen dollars soybeans, what increments do they go up? What increments do they go down?
1: If you're looking at the November strikes, because they're the that's what the new crop soybeans are trading at, they trade in twenty cent increments on the typical November futures. If you use a short dated option, that's another thing we can talk about. They'll uh, trade in ten cent strikes. Uh, and corn typically trades on a 10 cent strike increment. So the price of soybeans being higher, they tend to have a higher distance between the strikes,
0: but they, they definitely have different, uh,
1: different commodities have different di- um, differentials between those strikes. And,
0: and wheat would then have its own increment then too, It's huh? 10
1: cents as mm-hmm. well. I mean, it tends to trade more in a range of corn. So it, yeah, it's mm-hmm. more like like the corn side. But if, if you have the short dated ones, they tend to have some maybe more increments in there.
0: Well, uh, you've dropped a couple of terms. So now let's come to a point where we define some of the things that we're talking about. First of all, if you had to define what an option is, how do you define an option? Well, one of the examples
1: I've used before on Market Journal and used earlier when we are talking is like, if you wanted to have an option on a piece of ground thinking big picture, I think it's something we can all relate to. It's like, okay, if I wanna buy a piece of ground at $5,000, it's like, how long do I wanna have that option? is it going to be something for one year, five years, 10 years? So there's a time frame involved there. There's also, what's the interest rate? You know, what's the cap rate? You know, what's the return on that asset? So it's a function of, that option's going to be a function of the time and the price, but also kind of that interest rate. So there are several things that go in there into that option pricing. So if you look at, if you want to price an option, you can ask a broker, okay, well, what what's the, the volatility of that option, what's the interest rates, and how much time is out there. So the mm-hmm. your, your option is always going to be dependent on those three things. So if I'm going to go buy an option further out, there's more time value involved in it, so it becomes more expensive. Mm-hmm. If I have $14 soybeans, I want to buy an in-the-money soybean call at $13, it's going to be a lot more expensive than an out-of-the-money one that's at, say, $15, because that's a lot further, a lot higher away. So you're going to
0: have a lot more cost involved in that one
1: that's in the money,
0: the intrinsic value of that. And there are a couple of types of options that are traded, and we've mentioned them both so far already. One is a call option and one is a put option. Define what is a call option. A
1: call option is the ability, for example, of today soybeans are at $14. And I think that soybeans are gonna go higher and I wanna be able to buy, you know, have that opportunity, but not the obligation, that's the key, Definition of an option is that you have the opportunity to buy at fourteen dollars, but not the obligation. So you're you're buying a call in the anticipation of that commodity going higher, and that's true whether it's in agriculture, if it's in oil, if it's in nat gas, or anything like that. If you anticipate that that commodity is going to go higher, you have the opportunity to buy you know, soybeans. If you buy a fourteen dollar strike and it goes higher, you have the opportunity to be long futures at $14. But you're going to pay a price to do that, and it's a function of how much is that going to cost? Well, if I'm doing that against the November soybeans and I have, you know, basically if we're sitting here in August, it's going to be September and October. That thing's going to expire in October. So you got sixty odd days till expiration. So that that option is always a function of time. If I'm going to go out to next July, then you're going to add another six months on there and you got, and so it's going to become more expensive. So buying that call option gives you an opportunity to be long at $14, but not the obligation. So if the market goes back to $13, your call option will expire worthless. You know, if you spent 50 cents on it, it would go to zero. You'd be able to buy back into the board, you know, if you wanted to at $13. So that's kind of just the at the money option of fourteen dollars. If the board's at fourteen dollars, the futures price at fourteen dollars you're buying a fourteen dollar strike, that's a buying an at the money strike. So that and within that then your delta of that or how's that option price going to change in relation to that futures. If the futures go up twenty cents, all at the money strikes are their delta or that relationship between the futures and the um how that option price is going to change is it's called the delta or that relationship, it's it's basically 50%. Mm-hmm. And it's if that futures price is a function of, again, futures and the time frame and the volatility, it's just a mathematical equation. It's a, it's a derivative is what mm-hmm. it is. And that delta is a relationship between the futures price movement and that option price movement. So at the money puts, at the money calls, are the, every option the trades in the world is about 50% if it's at the money. So again, if I'm buying a $14 call or a $14 put, that option volatility or how that option price moves is, is always about 50%. Now, mm-hmm. as you go more into the money, um, they're gonna be more expensive, and the, but that delta also improves. If you go further out of the money, that delta reduces, but it
0: makes those options cheaper. Mm-hmm. So if we've lost you, stay with us, because we're going to do later in the show, we're going to do some math and, and show how this all mm-hmm. works. Is it safe to say um, if you think the market is going to go higher, a call option is what you would be using to protect yourself, right? That
1: is correct.
0: And then so the, the, not, the not the opposite, but the complement to that, the other side of that, is if you think the market is going down, that's where you would use a, a put option, that right? That is correct. Absolutely. So, so uh, describe, you know, in, in your mind, a, a put option. What is it? How is it used? Right. If
1: I say I want to protect $14
0: soybeans a day, I can buy a put. If I think beans are going to
1: $13, or at least I want to protect this $14 value, whether I think it's going to go down, but I at least want to protect $14. If they go $15, hooray, you know, my option expires worthless, then I go and I sell into that market. But to have that put in place would allow you to put a floor underneath it. And like this last week before the USDA report, you know, and if you bought puts and you know now the market's fallen off 50 60 cents I mean we've had a pretty big drop those put values will gain so if you had bought a 1450 put you know last week and the market's gone down 50 cents that put's probably gained 25 cents so it's allowing you to to add revenue so then when you go make a cash sale you would sell at the current Future market less whatever the basis is, but you would take your put gain and add that to it. So your net selling price would be your cash price plus your your put gain. This is what what's going to happen. Yeah. So, but that's just the opposite of what the call is. So the put allows you to put a floor underneath it. If it goes lower, you're going to benefit. Or the call, if you buy that and it goes up, you're going to gain from the call.
0: So as a farmer who produces grain, uh, I've heard it say, you know, that that farmer, when you produce grain, you're automatically long in the market, right? Just because you have the grain to sell. Right. And more of often than not, that, that grain is not priced. So right. you're kind of speculating, you're, right. you're long in the market. Mm-hmm. F- for the farmer who produces grain and wants to sell grain, which options serve him best? And, and how are they using that option? That's a great question.
1: And <laughs> Howard Buffett talks about forty chances. You got forty crops you're going to plant your life, and so you're always long. And so when farmers want to go buy the board or buy options, you know it's like you got to protect your asset there, which is so you need to be using put options, or you want to be hedging and trying to protect that risk of lower prices. That's what we're usually at most risk of. So there's two different concepts. So Bob Wisner over at Iowa State University, when he looked at ideal marketing plans, he really kind of gravitated because you can't predict what the market's going to do. That's a primary bias that we have as well is, okay, so if the prices are higher in the spring and run lower to the fall 70, 75% of the time, then you want to be protecting yourself with a put or hedging. Now, some people don't like margin calls and don't have the mindset to hedge, so they'll use options to put a floor underneath it in case they're wrong and the market does go higher. And so that's kind of what happens is it's like, okay, I want to protect this price so the put allow me to benefit if it goes lower. Mm -hmm. But if the market, like in this case this year, where we were drier and we had the war break out and we had different things and the market went higher, at least having that floor allowed you to move into a higher selling point than where we started the year. So those options give you that flexibility to we'd say to to slow down that market because of that delta or that change in that option price but also it gives you you can make different time decisions on that which is important because you don't know what's going to happen in the summer with weather and this year is a prime example where we've dried down we've had good weather in eastern corn belt drier in the west and so prices have been high this summer and it you didn't know where the war in Ukraine was going. So it was a prime example or a year where you could use puts in the spring to allow you to kind of layer into a higher market, which is very good. Mm-hmm. So that's one concept where, especially for where Wisner was in Iowa and for dryland farmers where you don't know what your production is going to be, those options can play a critical role, but there's always a cost inherent in
0: those. Mm-hmm. Yep, And we'll get into that more in a moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, But just quickly, just so that farmers um, uh, that are learning marketing, Mm -hmm. uh, so they understand the other side of it, um, options are useful as well if you are a grain buyer, correct? If you have a a feed yard, if you have an ethanol plant, uh, if you're a soybean crush facility, um, options would would help them in in their
1: business too, right? Absolutely, yeah, because they can go on the buy side where they're always wanting to if they want to lock in their costs of feed, I worked in a food company for 10 years. If you want to lock in your price of wheat, you could do the same thing. You can either buy futures or you can buy an option on that futures in the event that those prices go higher and you can protect against a higher market. So with every option, a call or a put, there's always a buyer. Again, there's always a seller. And we'll go into that in a minute too, because that's the thing that gets confusing is because you can buy a call if you want to protect against, say, your feed, you know, costs on your farm or your ethanol plant and allow you to benefit from you know a higher market. So if they so they're hedging their inputs on that they're trying to protect against higher prices where a farmer's trying to protect against lower prices. So mm-hmm. the other thing I wanted to go into though is like, okay, if you're not using puts to protect that crop, say if you're hedging pre harvest in the springtime, then you can use calls to go with that. So from our perspective from a marketing plan, if I go out and if I'm going to have 100,000 bushels to produce, and if I've got a crop insurance guarantee of, say, 70%, so if I know, like, my pre-harvest bushels are 70,000 bushels that I want to sell, I might have calls that I want to buy in the springtime when the volatility is very low, where I want to be able to buy those calls before the seasonality, and we can talk about that a little bit more if you like, but when those calls are relatively, there's more time in them, but they're, There's a seasonal time to buy that because the volatility is very low. Just like there's a seasonality in the price of corn, as we go into the summer, the volatility increases on those options because there's more worry about drought and things like that. So there's a time frame. If I want to say if I'm going to market that 70,000 bushels of corn, that maybe I'm going to buy a complement of calls to go with those hedges of maybe 20 or 30% of my overall crop. So I've got maybe 30% that's going to be unsold because I've got my crop insurance guarantee 70,000, my unsold bushels will be 30. But if I buy calls on 20 to 30,000 bushels with my 30,000 unsold, I'll be about half unsold, so to speak, or I'd have flexibility to the upside on that price of corn through those, through my options and my unsold bushels. So that's where you got to think about from a marketing standpoint is how do you craft your marketing plan? So either you're going to use, protect, say, 70% of your crop with puts or to put a four underneath it or the other side of it would be if I'm going to hedge that 70000 because I find that there's, we prefer to go in that direction. That's the direction we tend to go. I know where my futures price is, my average that I'm achieving. But to give me some flexibility or to give me essentially a synthetic put, flexibility to the upside, I do some of that through calls, mm-hmm. out-of-the-money calls. To move to protect me against a dollar or two dollar or three dollar move, but yeah. that 's kind of a conceptual how do you how do you craft those and put those things together it's more that 's where more of the art is, and you 're using the science but you 're trying to how do we what 's our portfolio yeah. how do I think about this how do I match up risk that 's the biggest thing that people have to think about is what 's the risk value at risk, and how do I manage that conceptually and that's we spend so much time talking about that and thinking about that 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 's really the craft of a of a marketing plan,
0: yeah, that's really the layers that you were talking about right. before, right? Right. Starting here, then you add to it, then you add to it, and right. add you it, and more and more it develops to become a marketing plan, and more and more it offers right. more protection, mm-hmm. so that you really you can really focus on <laughs> the, the things that you need to focus on become apparent. Right now, right. if you don't have anything, this can look pretty big. This can it's, look pretty, yeah. uh, pretty daunting, right? But as you add those layers, it becomes more definite, and, and you, right. you don't have to focus on so
1: much. You, Absolutely. Right? You really got to put it into manageable pieces. And mm-hmm. Bob Wisner always said you got to sell your corn about the time you're putting it in the planter box. Yeah. You know, and he would say use options in that time. The guys at AgMAS at the University of Illinois, they found that selling over seasonal time frame outperforms all the mm-hmm. advisors out there. So that's what we sell is like February through June. And then you can Buy some call options to go with that and you know, maybe March when the volatility's low. So how you crap those together, it's like I said earlier that I'm not a big fan of options, but they give you some flexibility. They give you all to be able to as that onion's unpeeled and revealed to you and you find out, okay, hey, maybe I need to change course a little bit, I can use those options to kind of steer me in a little bit different direction.
0: I wanted to uh, make sure that we cover how options get their value. Right. So just a quick review: right. you know, you you have a a value of soybeans, and there's a there's options that go with that. There's increments that in that that are higher in value. There's increments in lower in value, right. um, in the money, out of the money, as as right. you've explained. How does the trade or how does the marketplace determine? the value at all of those price levels and all of those increments in the money and out of the money. It's based on that Black-Scholes
1: option model. So it's really a function, if you, again, that price of that option at $14, no soybeans, that's what I'm going to use and we're going to go, that's going to expire basically in the middle of, end of October. So it has a certain number of days till it expires. So that option price is always a function of time. Where it is relative to the strike, and we're talking at the money now. So we're buying something that's right at the money, which is $14. So $14 strikes and the futures are at $14. And then it's also based on the volatility in the marketplace. So right now, this year, the volatility of options is running somewhere, you know, 35 to 40 to 45%, where in, you know, like in the springtime, it might have been running 15%. So we're in the middle of the heat or the summer and a lot of volatility. So those options are more expensive right now. So that $14 strike, you know, last spring would have been more expensive because it had a lot of time in it, but it would have been cheaper because it had lower volatility in it. I see. So that's kind of the critical factor. And so then as you go again, so that $14 strike is at the money. And then if we go in the money it would be like a $13 strike. It's saying, okay, I wanted to buy beans at $13, but today we're at 14 So. The volat- Like if we're doing that today, the volatility is the same across all those strikes right now. The you know Where we are relative to the futures price, instead of being a 14 at the money, we're buying at 13, which is in the money by a dollar. That's going to be a lot more expensive because you're trying to buy beans at $13 and the market's at 14. So that, that mm-hmm. option, which is going to be, again, based on the price of where the futures are relative to your strike, the price or what the volatility of that option price is. And then also your interest rate; those things determine what that price is. Now, the con, or the other side of that is, is what happens if say I want to go buy an out of the money call option, say at fifteen dollars. Mm-hmm. That so we had in the money's at thirteen, out the money's at fourteen, out of the money'd be at fifteen. It's like, okay, I think beans could go to sixteen dollars, so I want to go and buy. If I want to buy that fourteen dollar option, it's going to be pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. It might be seventy cents today, but if I want to go up to a fifty, I think beans are going to sixteen, so I could go buy a fifteen dollar strike, which is out of the money. It means we're fourteen dollars a day, but fifteen's a ways away. It'd be like trying to buy land, you know. At say again, I wanted to buy five five thousand dollar ground, and today it's at fifteen. That that back then that fifteen was way out of the money. So, mm-hmm. but I have the hope that maybe beans will go to sixteen. I could buy that call option. And so it's going to be cheaper at the fifteen dollar strike than the 14 dollar strike because it's going to the market's got to rally a dollar to get there mm-hmm. so again, but that fifteen dollar strike is based on how much time to expiration, which will expire at the end of October, and the volatility is this, the volatility does change between the different strikes um, it's going to be in the same kind of a range, but um, it's going to be um, kind of that volatility does change a little bit, but it also is a lot further away from today's $14 price. So that mm-hmm. that's the kind of how those things, but there's a, when you look at that grid on the CME, you're going to see all these different prices and it gets pretty confusing. Yeah.
0: So, um, does market momentum have anything to do with it? And I'm thinking, you know, the, the price of an in the money option versus an out of the money option, how does the market figure out which, uh, which, which needs more premium, which, which has more value?
1: Well, that's, so it's really that mathematical equation. So it doesn't really think about what those actual theoretical prices are, but that brings up a great question because there's a theoretical price of what those should be. If it's, if the price of the option is based on the price of the futures relative to the strike and the volatility and the interest rate, sometimes people pay more than what you think it's worth Mm -hmm. or what it should be worth, or people try to buy it at a value that's less than, you know, what, you know, so there's a theoretical value, but sometimes in the heat of the moment, if somebody is trying to buy wheat you know, options this last May, when the war in Ukraine was breaking out and with the Board of Trade was you know, we were going through some limit moves, people were paying – there might have been a theoretical price, but then what you actually – like in the housing market in Lincoln, Nebraska, over the last couple of years, there was an asking price, but people were coming in and bidding over that thing mm-hmm. because of the – what did you call that? Enthusiasm or emotionalism or those things. So it's like, okay, there's a theoretical price, but then there's, so if you go back and you look at an option price, this is digging a little deeper. There's intrinsic value, but there's also kind of the volatility at what you trades. So there's the prices move in a historical volatility. The futures mm-hmm. move that way every day. But if people are paying more for that option than what they should be, it's reflected in the actual uh, volatility of that option. So there's a theoretical or there's kind of a movement in the futures market, but there's also what people will pay it Mm -hmm. or what the market is trading for that option.
0: I would imagine there's enough emotion that the opposite could be true when the the market is going the other way. You know, uh, people are saying, I think my option should be worth this much money. Mm -hmm. But what's actually happening, what's actually being traded is – much less of that. So each right? day a, could go either way. Right.
1: Each day as a broker, if I'm trying to buy calls or trying to buy puts, for example, I'm looking at a theoretical value, what it should be worth, and then what it's trading on the bid ask in the pit. And so there's t- tends to be a skew, what they call. Call options tend to be a little more expensive than puts because people are always worried about markets going up. Mm-hmm. So there tends to be a little more they tend to be bid those a little more aggressively. But so you're always looking at that theoretical and then you know what's a, what's a good value relative to that theoretical option and that's contingent upon the number of people trading in there each day how anxious people are to get something done like if you try to buy something before a report last you know Thursday and and Friday morning the volatility be just a touch higher those options would be a little more expensive because people are trying to
0: get something done before before a report, you know, that type of thing. Sure. I've come back to something else too, and you mentioned it. I, I think I heard you say, um, is there a seasonality to the value of options? Because we've talked about it before, there's, there's a seasonality to futures uh, because, uh, you know, when, when the market doesn't know so much, there's a little volatility. It's, it's pricing premium into it. Can you say the same thing about puts and calls? Absolutely.
1: When you look at corn, That's one of the things we use more research. They've got great seasonal charts on futures. And so you can look at each futures month and livestock and copper and all the different commodities. But if you look at, you can go and look at option volatility and how it trades. And it definitely has a seasonal trade to it because corn and beans are so much determined in July and August. So imagine when the most uncertainty is about a crop. It's in July, in June, July. And so what happens is back in, you know, for this crop year, back in January, February, we weren't too worried about the weather. So option on corn might have been trading around 15%, you know, say last January. But as things started becoming more uncertain about the war, that volatility really jumped up. But then Mm -hmm. typically, I mean, we don't have that type of situation. But if you look at options trading as you go into March, May, June, that volatility starts increasing as you start worrying more about weather
0: mm-hmm. and those yeah, what options. Is spring, what is right. spring weather going to be right. this year? Are right. we going to plant corn, enough corn, or is it going to right. have rollover to soybeans, right. things like that? Yeah. So if I was buying a call option that at that time back in,
1: say, before the war broke out, say in January for, say, corn was at 4 50 and kind of wanted to buy a $5 call – as you moved into the springtime, as the war you know, kind of broke out, and then we're worried about whether that volatility increased. So that option would have become more expensive because, as that volatility increased. It also became cheaper because there was less time. Say if you bought that call in January and then went out to say March, it had decayed over two months. So there was decay or theta in that option. It became cheaper because it was less time. Two months had you know passed, mm-hmm. but it also became more expensive because the volatility went up. So that's the thing that's hard about options is you've got to look at that slide between time, between volatility. interest rates are pretty set, although they've jumped up two points this year. but anyway, um, but those things all have a play on it. So as your interest rates increase, those options become more expensive.
0: Well, this is a good place to end part one of our conversation on puts and calls. Join us for part two. Doug and I will work through the math. Again, joining us today, Doug Simon, a commodity consultant with Tradehaus in Lincoln. Thanks for listening to Grain IQ. I'm Chad Moyer.
1: Grain IQ is a production of the Nebraska Rural Radio Association with support from the Nebraska Soybean Board. It is brought to you in part by Nebraska soybean farmers and their checkoff. Grain IQ is hosted by Chad Moyer and produced by Rebel Siklocha. It is written and edited by Alex Wojcicki. Our project manager is Bryce Duskett. You can listen to Grain
0: IQ on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or online at ruralradionetwork.com.